And so, what is heaven going to be like? What do you think? What is heaven going to be like? And what will we do in heaven? And that's, I mean, I don't know how that picture got, you know, there is no pictures. Oh, oh, okay. Let's say we're waiting for pictures. Okay, there it is. Okay, here we go. So, uh, again, what is heaven going to be like? Uh, we d- don't know. There's the door. And then, uh, <laughs> there we go. I don't, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was the big cue there. <laughs> I don't know how that got picked. Picture got in there. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm lying. I do know how it got in there. I put it in there on purpose. Because God says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. We can't even imagine it. I mean, and Gene Roddenberry, he had a pretty good imagination. And so, I I happen to think that heaven is going to be a joy and a delight and that perhaps we'll get to uh, explore God's universe and and the excitement and the exploration will never end. But that's my imagination. But there will be a throne and as we've already, um, and, and what we'll read shortly, there will also be other thrones in heaven. A throne represents power and authority. Uh, What's heaven going to be like? Jesus said, I can guarantee this truth unless you change to become like little children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what do kids say? What do kids say? Well, here's what kids think. I really hope there's a choo-choo train. (laughs) That's what one kid said. I really hope there's a choo-choo train. Another one said, the sky's going to be pink and the birds are going to be blue. Another... A youngster said, magic and lots of gold. And another youngster said, everything is going to be right, and there's no bad guys or war. No bad guys. And then another one said, I'll be jumping on the clouds and doing cannonballs on the sky. (laughs) There's an imagination, isn't there? And then this one said, I think heaven is going to be the most perfect place in the universe because God is going to be there. I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful thing. Isaiah saw heaven's throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each had six wings, with two wings were, they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling out to one, an, uh, one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my, for my eyes have seen the King. The Lord Almighty. This is verses 1 to 5 from Isaiah chapter 6. Artist Peter Olson paints the scene from Revelation chapter 4. Notice the four living creatures. They're above and the four lamps. 
of fire before the throne and 24 elders with golden crowns. So we're going to read our text, Revelation chapter 4. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Remember the context of this, John has just related uh, a message, personal message from Jesus to seven churches in Asia Minor. And then all of a sudden the scene changes, the context changes. He's no longer speaking to the churches specifically. John is going, being transported someplace else. So a, dan- a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard, was like a trumpet, speaking to me, said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and the one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. And what are they doing? They're saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Whoa. Amen. That's, what, that's a picture of heaven. We're going to talk about the place of the throne, the power of the throne, the people around the throne, and the proclamation directed to the throne. We're going to talk about those four things. And so the place of the throne. Let's figure out where this throne is. John was on... Patmos, and he heard a voice that he describes was like a trumpet. That's verse 10 of chapter 1. And then again in chapter 4, he says, This person whose voice was like a trumpet speaks again and said, Come on up! Not come on down like the game show, but come on up here, right? And so this turns out to be Jesus. Jesus says he has a message for some of the churches in Asia Minor, which we've, that was the context. And now John sees this door opening up, and I think he says a door in heaven, right? And so what does that look like to you? You've seen the science fiction shows where this kind of a 
a door opens up. It's like a vortex, and all of a sudden there's a place that you can go right through the sky, and you're someplace else. And that's kind of how I imagine it. This door opens up, and John is transported by the Spirit into this place, into the throne room of heaven. And, and then he starts to describe it. Naturally, the question to consider is where in God's prophetic timetable does this take place? Not, I mean, where is it? It's in heaven. Where's heaven? We're, well, and, and, but where is it in God's prophetic timetable? Now, I'm reading from Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. A period of 70 sets of seven have been decreed for your people. Now, remember, this is talking, Daniel's talking about the Jewish people and your holy city, and that's Jerusalem, to finish their rebellion. <laughs> you understand what that's talking about already, to finish their rebellion. The Jews still have not accepted Jesus as their Messiah. That is rebellion. They're not done. They still reject Jesus as their Messiah. That's rebellion. Okay, so they need to finish the rebellion to put an end to their sin, that sin, to atone for their guilt and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, that's the most holy place, right? Now, listen and understand seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time that the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be, will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Now, after this uh, period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Where is that? You see that on the picture. See, Daniel prophesied, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. Daniel prophesied the 49 years, the 434 years, the Messiah, the anointed one would be cut off. That's all fulfilled. Where are we now? We had just talked about the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is, you see where the, it says the church age and grace right underneath it? We're at the end of that time. That's where we are in God's prophetic timetable. And so Messiah has been cut off. And then there's this kind of parenthesis where, where God is dealing primary. He hasn't forgotten the Jews. They're still his people. But God is dealing primarily with the Gentiles. And we have been invited into his grace through the blood of Jesus. Right? It's called the church age. And so we, we're in that right now. And as we looked at the seven churches representing the whole church age, we're right at the end of it, just before the rapture of the church, when Jesus comes and the church is lifted off the earth. And then, then what happens? There's seven years, that last prophetic year that Daniel talks about in chapter 9, that last group of seven years, that last one. That last week is yet to come. And the first three and a half years aren't too bad. It's like Jacob's trouble. The, the next three and a half years, 
after Antiochus, Epiphanes like this desecrates the temple. The temple has to be rebuilt. And then all hell breaks loose. It will be like nothing the earth has ever experienced in the past. It's not only Satan's wrath, because Satan's angry, he knows his time is short, but it's God's wrath is being poured out on those that have rejected him. It will not be a good time. Now, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from the time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of a set of seven. That's the seven years. Okay? And, but after half this time, that's the middle of the seven years. He will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, and as a, as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him, and God will take him out. And then the thousand years reign. And Jesus reigns, it brings brings his church back to reign with him and there is peace for a thousand years after that Satan is loosed for a time and then everything after that is finished it's all made new that's it now let me take you back to the instructions Jesus gives John concerning what he uh, what he was going to write in the first place Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 write the things which you have seen and the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. That's how uh, Jesus asked John to write in the book of Revelation. Now, things which you have seen. That's chapter 1 of Revelation. The present ministry of the Lord Jesus after his death, resurre resurrection, and ascension. Now, the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were dated just, just before the book of Revelation. Okay? And... And so, um, I think, and he wrote these from Patmos as well, I think it's possible that John received the message to write the things which he saw, and so he did. And even, even the book of John, even the gospel of John, was written only just slightly prior to this. And so, it, so it's very possible that, that he just started writing what he had witnessed as he was a disciple of Jesus, as he was a student. And, and, and so Jesus instructs him in um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, to write the things which you have seen. And so John does that. And then he says the things which are. Now, what were the things that, that he was seeing right then at that moment which are well that was the letter to the churches the seven churches those are the things that's the present age the present church age interpreted literally universally and prophetically and so um, there's the church approximate date on the far right of um of what that church age is, starting at 31. That's when Jesus died, right? When Jesus was crucified. 
and those are the, the, the seven churches that are represented there. And right at the bottom, the last church age, the church of Laodicea, which was neither hot nor cold. And so Jesus said, I'm going to just puke you out of my mouth, right? Because you're neither hot nor cold. And there's a question mark as to when that ends. Because we're just about there. We don't know exactly. Jesus said, we don't know the hour of the day. But, you'll, it, but you can see the signs. And we're just, people were just about there. I, I, if, if I could see, I, it's like Jesus is just reaching for the door of heaven. And, and he's ready to open the door and, and, and to call out with a trumpet and saying, Come on up! Are you ready? Are you ready? And so, then the things which will take place after this, that is chapters 4 to chapter 22. That's the rest of the book of Revelation. And so those things haven't taken place yet. But when they happen, they're going to happen really fast. It's going to be all of, all of God's wrath, these bowls and all these things, that the trumpets and all of these things will be poured out on the earth to those that had rejected the Lord. And um, boy, wow. So John is taken up to heaven's throne room the place where we see that God is on the throne and everything is under control. God is on the throne. I can't hear anybody. Amen. Amen. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, God is on the throne. Nothing is happening apart in God's creation that is a surprise to Him. Nothing is happening that isn't that, that is a surprise. In fact, everything that happens is very deliberate and very calculated. God knows. Now, the big question, what happens to the church? Where is the church? And I've already ex explained that. That it, it, Many people believe that as um, this represents this verse in chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus tells John, come on up here. It is representative of Jesus coming for his church and rapturing the church before before the tribulation starts. And, uh, and I do agree. Um, now, this is... Uh, uh, Robert, Robert Morgan uh, said this after... He, he said, in my opinion, verse 1 is where rap the rapture of the church takes place in the sequence of events in Revelation. Verse 1 is a symbolic view of the rapture as John is caught up into heaven in his vision. It seems to me that there are many indications here about the rapture and, and, and the first one being after this. And so after the church age, the church is gone after this. And then, and then guess what? The, the Holy Spirit is taken with the church because it's not that the Holy Spirit isn't present on, because God is God and the Holy Spirit is, is the third person of the Trinity, but there's, a, but there's a special place for the Holy Spirit and a special power uh, and it's called the restrainer that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. And so, but when that restrainer, that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is because the Christians are gone, they're taken, raptured, they're taken up to heaven, and, and then there's nothing to restrain anymore. 
So I agree with uh, Robert Morgan. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but, the, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the, in, in the context of this verse, Paul is talking about the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is judgment. Right? The day of the Lord. It will come suddenly, bringing destruction. A couple of Sundays ago, we were talking about the church in Philadelphia where Jesus promises to them that he would keep them from experiencing the hour of trial, which would come upon the whole world. And then Jesus says right after that, he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And so really, to me, that suggests that Jesus is coming. He's going to pull his church off of the earth, and then the tribulation will happen. And so that's where. Now, how about the power of the throne? And so here's John. He's taken to heaven. Um, he is there, and, and, and as he's there, who is there with him? And, and God. God is there. He's right there. There's lots of other things and people, but his eyes are drawn first to the one on the throne because that's what's it, because God is there. This is the same God who Moses wanted to see. Remember in Exodus chapter 33, what did God tell Moses? You cannot see my face. Because Moses said, oh, can I just see you? I just want to see you. And God said, Moses... You, you, know, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't see my face and live. And so God asks Moses to hide in the cleft of the rock, and then as God passes, God covers him and protects him with his hand, and then Moses sees his backside. He saw the glory of the Lord. But here's John. He's taken up by the Spirit right into the throne room of heaven and who's sitting there is God on the throne. Oh. Have you ever been asked to draw a picture of God? Not Jesus. And Jesus, that's easy, right? We have our, in our minds what Jesus looks like. But have you ever been asked to draw a picture of God um, I was teaching a creative drama course or Sunday school, I can't quite remember. And I asked my students if they, they, I asked them to draw a picture of God, right? It was really interesting what, what came, you know, what God was like, according to kids. There was lots of, um, like, almost like the sun, with like jagged edges and they just had they didn't know how to draw God but God was light and powerful it's it's really it's because you know kids know stuff right I mean what's God like and this is from crosswalk.com again I the theology of kids God has big hands because the song says that he's got the whole world in his hands that's Kaylin, age nine. God is very loving, says Lauren, age nine. I imagine he is very tall. I love him. And yes, God is loving, but he is also a sin hater who, 
Who's the nicest man in the world? A sin hater who's the nicest man in the whole world. I like that. Yeah, says Justin 10. I think he has a beard. He is not that old. He lives in heaven. Jesus is his son. Kids know stuff, hey? God is like a never-ending story that you want to read again and again, says Ashley 10. When I hear about him, I want to know more. Although I can't see him, I feel him. He is perfect and pure. I know he has felt pain and has suffered greatly to take away my sins. Ten years old. Ten years old. Ashley, another Ashley, who's also ten years old, says, while God is revealing himself... I mean, no, this is what she says. God is like the wind. You can't see him, but you know he's there because you can see what he does. God is loving. He's like a gentle creek that won't hurt anyone. God loves us. He always loves us. He will always be with us. He is love. Well, the two Ashleys have a, quite a different idea of what God is like, don't they? And then this one. Um, God is like Jesus because God is Jesus, says Caleb 10. God is also like the Holy Spirit because he is the Holy Spirit too. God is also like the Bible because it teaches us about him. Caleb, he is like 10 years old. When's he going to start teaching at Bible school? <laughs> um, God is like an apple, says Brandon, who is 10 years old as well. Apples look good on the outside and on the inside. <laughs> John did his best, didn't he, to describe what God was like? I mean, he did. I mean, he tried to describe God's physical appearance. He did his, the very best with what he knew of the world that God had created. So John, and it's interesting, John doesn't describe God with human-like characteristics. John, uh, Ezekiel also describes God in his vision on the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with the brightness all around like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Do you, understand, do you see how they're describing God? They can't. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like this, or it, it reminds me of this. Uh, it, just imagine this. They can't describe it in human words. It, God is indescribable. I think, and, and so who can stand before a vision of God like that? Ezekiel falls on his face before God, and then God speaks, and then God's Spirit enters him and stands him up. That, now, that is weird. I mean, it's like Ezekiel can't move. 
but God's Spirit enters him and kind of stands him up, and, and it's like he, he's not doing any moving. It's a Spirit that's kind of standing him up. And, um, and so that he can hear what God is going to ask him to do. Because he was, I mean, he, this is, this is a, a vision in front of him that is indescribable of the Almighty and he can't handle it. What's interesting to me is that Ezekiel was trying so hard to describe what he saw. But, he, that, but no picture is really adequate. So John saw thunderings and lightnings coming from the throne. Remember Mount Sinai? Exodus chapter 19. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. Have you ever been in a violent storm? Thunder and lightning and just like... It is scary stuff. And so that is nothing compared to what John was seeing and what they saw around Mount Sinai, God coming down in fire. It's like it, that would be really, really terrifying. Now, I mean, you think of a prairie storm with uh, thunder and lightning and often uh, with a lot of wind with it, uprooting trees and big branches and doing destruction. Well, God, the, the picture of God with thunder and lightning and this loudness, and it's just overwhelming. In the book of Revelation, thunder also speaks of God's impending judgment. Take Revelation 8, 5 to 6, for example. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the angel... So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The earth is going to be in trouble. Judgment is coming. So let's look at the people around the throne. Uh, but before I get to the people, I should comment on the seven torches or the lamps of fire before the throne. John identifies these as representing the seven spirits of God. Remember, Jesus told the church in Sardis that it was he, this is chapter 3, verse 1, that it was he who had the seven spirits of God. What, what are the seven spirits of God? I thought God, there was one Holy Spirit, right? Here in chapter 4, it is God the Father who has the seven spirits before his throne again the word seven and if you remember we talked about the word seven is perfection and completeness and so the seven spirits in jesus hand and the seven spirits before god's throne same thing it represents the holy spirit in his fullness in his completeness and so um it, it, in chapter five we'll see that we have the seven spirits, or the Spirit of God represented there. We have God the Father represented there. And we see the Lamb represented there as well. And so the Trinity, all in one place, in God's throne room. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then there are four living creatures. And these four living creatures are a real mystery. 
Ezekiel sees four living creatures around the throne also. What he saw had four wings, and each creature displayed all four faces instead of each one having one face. Now, uh, but the same faces, right? And uh, Ezekiel 10, uh, Ezekiel describes the cherubim, which description parallels what John and Ezekiel saw earlier. And so what they represent what, is, what do they represent and what is their responsibility? We can only speculate. Again, John says that their faces were like a lion, like a man, like a calf or an ox, um, uh, like an eagle. And John tried to paint us a picture the best he could. What we do know for sure is that their appearance was overwhelmingly brilliant. You couldn't miss them. I mean, there they were. Uh, they never sleep day and night and they had they have eyes and they have wings and they have voices and they use their voices for what one word worship praising singing worship they're worshiping god day and night they worship which brings us to the people there were 24 thrones with 24 guys on there with crowns of gold, and they had robes of white. And what in the world do these 24 represent? Some think that they are 12 sons of Jacob, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, representing Israel, and plus 12 disciples representing the church, right? And it kind of makes sense, right? That maybe, I don't know. Um, Jesus did tell the 12 apostles that they would sit on 12 thrones, right? So, um, maybe. Um, And so in this view, the Old Testament saints and the New Covenant saints represent the full plan of God. All redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, of course. Ray Steadman believes that, um, that, that, that they're angels. And I have to disagree with Ray. I love Ray's preaching and love, and his, I like quoting him. But he figures they're angels and uh, that, um, that are in charge of the present age, 24 intelligent, powerful angels associated with the kingdom of God. Finally, many believers uh, say they just represent the church. To me, this actually makes the most sense. Uh, Elders are naturally associated with the church. We're elders appointed in churches, right? Uh, And Paul talks about the elders. And we are very familiar with the, the earning of the crowns. They had gold crowns. We're familiar with that. Because Jesus said those, uh, he said those of the church, if you, uh, if you overcome, you will earn a crown, right? And so that's a reward. And so there were 24 of these uh, sitting with white robes, which means righteousness. Again, white robes means purity, you're forgiven, it means righteousness. And so that, again, that suggests that they were, that they were cleansed by Jesus' blood, right? Wearing white robes. And so I think it does represent the church. And, and thrones, again, represent authority. So now, what are the 24 elders doing there? What are they doing? Well, the one thing that we can see for sure is they're falling down before the Ancient of Days and throwing their crowns and offering their crowns, right? They're casting their crowns and they're worshiping, which brings us to the proclamation directed to the throne. 
more accurately the proclamation directed to the one on the throne. Listen to what they sing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Not all songs are worth singing, are they? Some songs are rather empty. A total lack of theology, actually, even in the church. But what does this song tell us about worship? I, I, I think you'll find this fascinating. I did. Well, first, and this is just kind of, I'll just throw it out there. It's okay to repeat, <laughs> it's okay to repeat worship songs. It's okay to repeat lines. And some people, they're going on and on and on and on. I was watching, I was watching uh, some of the live streaming that was happening from the Asbury Revival um, in the college down in Kentucky. And you know what? They were going on and on and on and repeating and repeating and repeating. And you know what they were doing? They were in worship. They were worshiping the God who is worthy. Now, here's it. Um, I, I, I looked up quite a few articles. Uh, actually, the, the, this, this is interesting. The majority text. Okay, so there's, um, there's a number of ancient texts from, of the Scriptures. And they're, they're not all exactly the same. They don't, they don't change anything, but they're subtle little changes. This is one of them. In the majority text, holy is repeated nine times. And so it's holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they repeat it again. And they keep, day and night, they're repeating that same thing, right? And so with the 24 elders, the men's chorus, they're joining these four creatures that are singing this. Then the, the, the second thing I would say about this, that correct theology in a song is important. Now, I looked up quite a few articles about hymns and choruses um, that... and. and there are some people suggesting that there's a lot of bad theology in some of our songs. And to be, I was actually disappointed as to how picky many of the articles were. Like, who doesn't, like, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. Right? I mean, who does? I know, well, actually, I'm mixing it up. I've got two, two hymns going on in my mind. But he lives, I know he lives, he lives within my heart, right? And they're saying the theology is bad for that, right? You, we shouldn't sing that song. What? You're being a little picky there, folks. I think that was, that's, a, that's an experiential thing. It, not, it, it doesn't disagree, it doesn't mean that you're not saved by faith and by the blood of Jesus. Now, um, and so... Many of the red flags that were being pointed out, in, in my opinion, were just as a result of somebody being overly critical. And are the hymns and choruses with 
Um, are, are there hymns and courses with bad theology? Oh, probably. I, I would think so. Assuredly, um, absolutely, and we need to be on our guard. The theology from this song, sung from heaven's throne, is accurate and profound. It tells me that God is holy, worthy of complete devotion, because he is perfect in goodness and righteousness. It tells me that he is almighty. That's all-powerful. It tells me that the Father and the Son are one. Who is and was and is to come. Who is that? That's Jesus. And yet it's being sung to the Father who's on the throne. And so Jesus and the Father are one, just as Jesus said. And so the third thing it tells me is that worship is and will be the major theme in heaven. Worship will be the major theme in heaven. What do you think about that? Worship will be the main thing. You know, yesterday when I was at the men's retreat, men's conference, we, a lot of the songs had to do with God's holiness. And holy was mentioned a lot. And there were times that I could not sing. And there were tears streaming down my face because it was so powerful and because it, it was it was it was like my my emotions it, it, my, i i couldn't I, I was so thankful to a god that loved me and died for me and rescued me i was so it was so powerful and i could have been there for a long time in that state i was so thankful Let me ask you a sobering question. How much do you make worship a part of your life right now? How much do you enjoy it? How much do you crave it? Is it a joy to worship with others? Stephen Cole tells a story from our Daily Bread. Years ago, with the billionaire Howard Hughes had died, his company's public relations director asked the casinos in Las Vegas, where Hughes owned multiple casinos, to show him a little respect by giving him a minute of silence for an unfathomable 60 seconds the casinos fell silent eerie silent then a pit boss looked at his watch leaned forward and whispered okay roll the dice he's had his minute I wonder if sometimes we treat God as those gamblers in Las Vegas treated Howard Hughes. We interrupt our busy schedules once a week, rush into church, give God his hour, and then forget about him and get back to what we'd rather be doing. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created, hast all things created. For Thou hast created all things. 
for thy pleasure they are created thou art worthy O Lord you know what you and I are his creation we were created for his pleasure part of that is worship Father thank you for your word for us today what a glorious scene in heaven and we have so much to look forward to and uh, as as Paul said I hasn't seen ear hasn't heard what you have been, what you have planned for us it will be amazing and we look forward to that thank you Jesus for your blood thank you for your life thank you for the invitation to be yours in Jesus name amen Here's our benediction. May God go before you to lead you. May God go behind you to guard you. May God go beneath you to support you. May God go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. Let the blessing of God come upon you today. Do not be afraid. Amen. Amen.